0: Section fifteen of Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by B. P. Shillibur. A Remembered Mistake. It is all very true, Mr. Knickerbottom. Said Mrs. Partington as she read in the knickerbocker something concerning brevity and simplicity of expression. It's true, as you say, and how many mistakes there does happen when folks don't understand each other. Why, last summer I told a dressmaker to make me a long visit to wear, and would you believe it, she came and stayed a fortnight with me. Since then, I've made it a pint always to speak just what I say her mouth grew down to a determined pucker at the end of the sentence and the snuff-box was tapped energetically as if the fortnight of unrequited bread and butter was laying heavy on her memory faith is a great thing and confidence in the cook and the trust that what you have before you is the true representative of the name it bears said old roger in his lecture over the bread pudding and he peered intently into his plate AS AT SOME MYSTERIOUS THING WHICH HAD THERE ARISEN TO PERPLEX HIM. BUT, HE CONTINUED, CAN I BE EXPECTED TO SWALLOW EVERYTHING, ALWAYS IN BLIND CREDULITY, OR GO SO FAR AS TO CONSTRUE PORK SKINS AND CHEESE-RINDS TO MEAN BREAD-CRUMBS? AND HE GENTLY PUSHED HIS PLATE AWAY, AND TOOK A PIECE OF THE PIE. Mrs. PARTINGTON AND JENNY LIND i never liked the sweden virgins said mrs partington she was orthodox and always sat in the asylum pew in the northeast corner of the gallery and had charge of the children in sermon time her raised finger was an admonition that brought young refractories to their obedience at once every sunday was she there and people expected to see the faded black bonnet above the railings in prayer time as much as they did the parson i never liked the sweden virgins but i ain't one that believes nothing good can come out of lazarus for all that now there's jenny lind may heaven shower bags of dollars on her head that is so very good to everybody and who sings so sweet that everybody's fallen in love with her tipsy-turvy and gives away so much to poor indigent people they call her an angel and who knows but she may be a syrup in disguise for the papers say her singing is like the music of the spears how i should love to hear her she grasps hastily at the long bead purse in her reticule but an unsatisfactory response came back from it to her hopes and she laid it back again with a sigh the use of the aztecs We are fearfully and wonderfully made, said Mrs. Partington, after she had stood for a long time contemplating the Aztec children. Her hands were resting upon the back of a chair as she said this, and she made the remark so loud that a tall gentleman who stood near her stooped down to get a look under her black bonnet. He thought she had spoken to him. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, continued she. Especially some of us. The ways of providence is past finding out, and we don't know what these haystack children are made for, no more'n we do why the mermaids were made, or the man in the moon. Perhaps they are made a purpose for curiosities, and nothing but providence could make anything more so, unless Mr. Barnum should try. Human nature, never come down up in so queer a wrapper before they say they are distended from the haystacks long ago gone to grass and isaac said she turning to ike who was teasing one of them with a stick isaac look upon him and pray you may never be born so the people had gathered around and were listening to the words as they fell like the notes of a hand organ from her lips and when she ceased they turned with renewed eagerness to inspect the objects that her remarks had rendered classic the mystery of the brazen nose or the maiden's revenge chapter one the hero of the story night closed around the field at agincourt sir hildebrand Helly to split who had been watching its approach for an hour from a neighboring hill with a spy-glass turned his horse's head towards his quarters with a sad heart for the day had been destructive to horseflesh, and thousands of the french and norman chivalry bit the mud not dust of agincourt he sought his tent his brow was dark and gloomy as could be plainly seen through his iron helmet and an unevenness of gait as he strode along betrayed great agitation of the nervous system walter de courcy stubbs said he hoarsely to his squire in at attendance hang up my horse and give my cask some oats and water and hark ye disturb me not until the connecticut wooden horror log in the vestibule striketh the hour of seven. now away Sir Hildebrand, helly to split, slowly divested himself of his armor, which clanged upon the stillness of the night like a tin kitchen, and then taking a match from his vest pocket, he lighted a three-cent regalia and puffed away at it in moody silence. He stretched himself upon three chairs with a bundle of old newspapers under his head and dropped asleep and then caught a nap. But his sleep was troubled. anon he started and shouted, "Saint Denis for France, Give him fits again!" A clammy sweat covered his brow, and he muttered, "Ha! Thrice to-day hath the brazen nose gleamed upon me in the battlefield. Down, old copperhead, down! But soon his slumbers grew calm, and not a sound disturbed the silence save the man-at-arms who sat wetting his jack-knife on a brick in the entry and indulging in whistling some old-familiar psalm tunes as if his mind were elsewhere for that man-at-arms had a heart he had chapter two the brazen nose it was midnight within about ten minutes and sir hildebrand helly to split still slept at this moment a slight noise was heard at the door and bearing in his hand a tin lantern a knight of gigantic size some five feet six in height in complete armour strode into the tent he gazed intently upon the sleeper and then in a suppressed voice of great anguish sighed out ah oh um and sank into a seat like a cooking-stove. His face could not be seen, but there was a dignity about the strange knight that betokened a genteel bringing up, which had won the respect of the man-at-arms, who had been bribed by a ninepence to admit him to the tent, on the plea of special business. His armour was of complete black, with no distinguishing mark, save a huge nose of brass, borne upon the cask, which gleamed in the light of the lantern like a quart pot. Taking a pencil from one pocket and a card from another, he wrote a few hurried lines. When, whispering to the man at arms for an envelope and a wafer, he sealed the missive, and deposited it by the side of the sleeping Sir Hildebrand, saying to the admiring attendant, No trouble, sireb, about mailing letters here, we can mail them with our own mailed hands eh it were better he had not uttered this for the man who hoped for further largesse laughed loudly at the pleasantry the light in the lantern disappeared as sir hildebrand heledis awoke and starting upon his elbow he cried aloud what ho without there what in thunder's all that noise about the men-at-arms and squires came rushing in rubbing their eyes none had heard the noise and at the suggestion of walter de courcy stubbs that he had been awakened by his own snoring sir hildebrand turned over and went to sleep again keep shady was the parting word of the stranger knight as he placed a quarter in the hand of walter and strode forth from the tent mystery crowned the hour chapter three the game is up scarcely had the wooden clock done striking the hour of seven the next morning when walter de courcy stubbs stood by his master's side to awaken him from his slumbers which he accomplished by pulling one of the chairs from beneath him sir hildebrand Helly to split wiped his eyes with his hand and combed his hair with his fingers and then as was his wont commenced pummeling his attendant by way of gentle exercise after which he proceeded to dress himself in a panoply of war stooping to pick up one of the stove-pipes that encased his legs sir hildebrand espied the letter left by the stranger lying upon the ground he gazed upon the writing and a mortal paleness covered his face his limbs trembled in every joint and ribbit and his teeth which were not metallic shook like a set of props he read perfidious wretch your hour is come meet me to-morrow outside the english lines and i'll give you jesse yours respectively nosy sir hildebrand hellied his split drank his coffee in silence after which arming himself with two spears a battle axe a sword mace and shield besides filling his belt with bowie knives revolvers and slung shot he walked forth into the fields in the rear of the english camp where he soon discovered the knight of the brazen nose sitting on a rock reading a newspaper who sprang to his feet and pulled out his sword the contest was speedily begun and quicker ended for sir hildebrand had too many irons in the fire and he couldn't come in well one blow from the powerful arm of him of the nose and the head of sir hildebrand hellitus split like an iron pot rolled at the feet of the victor uttering a fearful cry of agony at this consummation the strange knight tore off his helmet revealing beneath a head of hair like a pound of flax the fair but hard countenance of judy o'brien the washerwoman gentlemen said she he was a perjured man and i have avenged myself upon him he owed me a bill for washing but alas in wiping out that score i flummoxed myself tell this to my country women never seek for vengeance tis better to forgive a little if they lose a shilling on the pound farewell saying which she disappeared up a tall tree that was near by and they never saw her more coroner de smythe under the circumstances did not think it advisable to summon a jury and informed sir hildebrand's friends by telegraph that they had better come on and look after his effects as he wasn't exactly in a condition to do it for himself a flemish jew bought sir hildebrand heliotisplit's wardrobe after a few keepsakes had been taken by friends for about the price of an old iron going to california dear me exclaimed mrs partington sorrowfully how much a man will bear and how far he will go to get the soldered dross as parson martin called it when he refused the beggar a sixpence for fear it might lead him into extravagance Everybody is going to California and chagrin arter gold, Cousin Jones and the three Smiths have gone, and Mr. Chip the carpenter has left his wife and seven children and a blessed old mother-in-law to seek his fortune too. This is the strangest yet, and I don't see how he could have done it. It looks so ungrateful to treat heaven's blessings so lightly. But there we are told that the love of money is the root of all evil and how true it is for they are now rooting arter it like pigs arter groundnuts. why it is a perfect money mania among everybody and she shook her head doubtingly as she pensively watched a small mug of cider with an apple in it simmering by the winter fire she was somewhat fond of drink made in this way a tough customer will you help me to a piece of chicken asked miss seraphina of old roger on thanksgiving day the old man was engaged elbow deep in the intricate task of carving the perspiration stood upon his brow from his exertions truly herculean efforts in dissecting a large fowl chicken muttered he do you call this a chicken why it has been the father of thousands miss he hadn't a very thankful spirit that day and the older boarders with bad teeth joined with him in questioning the propriety of being thankful old rogers boarding-house having failed and the furniture being taken to be sold on mean process as he called it he asked one of the chambermaids who always had been saucy to him if she was to be sold with the rest of the furniture. She answered him, No, as sharp as vinegar. Oh, said he coolly, buttoning up his coat, I supposed you were, for the advertisement reads that the house is to be sold with all the impertinences thereto belonging. He very cruelly laughed at the indignant look she gave him, and stepped out. Funeral Obstacles how solemn these funeral obstacles is said mrs partington as she looked down from an upper chamber window on the day of a mock funeral of one of the presidents she took off her specks to wipe the moisture from their discs tapped her box mournfully to the measured time of the distant drum and looked anxiously down the street to catch the first glimpse of the funeral train here it comes at last quoth she with the soldiers all playing with muzzled drums and their flags flying at half-mast is that the catastrophe whispered she to a gentleman near her that is a catafalque madam replied he well well said she no matter i knowed there was a cat about it and i didn't know but it might be a cataplasm will you tell me when the artillery flies over that come on here to attend the funeral good gracious madam cried he testily they don't fly they are artillerymen on horseback merely dear me replied she i thought it was one of the wings of the army and flew how easy it is to get mistaken she pensively gazed upon the pageant that slowly passed before her what a pity it is said she that we don't valley people till arter they are dead but then what paragories we pour on them she here paused a silence pervaded the chamber the procession had passed the company had departed and two hours after the old lady was found still sitting by the open window fast asleep so powerful is grief excellent advice never get in debt isaac said mrs partington as she raised her teaspoon with an oracular air and held it thus as if from it were suspended the threads of a fine argument on economy discernible to her eye alone and she was watching an opportunity to make it tangible never get in debt no matter whether you are creditable or not it is better to live on a crust of bread and water and a herring or two than cows and oxen cut up into rump steaks and owe for it think of our neighbour what a failing he had and had all his goods and impertinences took away on a mean procession and sold and his poor wife reduced to a calico gown starvation and shushan tea and he in California. some tea please said ike as he handed over his tin dipper the tea like her own reflections trickled out musically and she passed along the caution with the cream and sugar never to get in debt timely reflection dear me exclaimed mrs partington and her hands were raised above a basket of potatoes in a provision store as if she were asking a blessing upon it it was in response to the shopkeeper who had told her in sepulchral tones that the potatoes were all rotting oh dear me said she if the potatoes is all rotting what on earth will poor people do for bread what will the poor patagonians do that don't eat nothing else and flour is very high too they tell us every now and then of an improvement in the market but flour is always just as dear after it and we have to pay full as much for half a dollar's worth it takes almost a remissness of california gold every week to get along nowadays heaven help the poor what a heartiness there was in that simple prayer the provision dealer was affected he dropped the long red he had been holding pensively into the basket again and wiped his eyes on the sleeve of his white frock that stern man who had unrelentingly cut up tons of beef nor shed one tear over the struggles of expiring lambkins showing no quarter while quartering them that stern man wiped his eyes on his frock sleeve and murmured It was touching. Everything was sixteen ounces to the pound with him for that day. PREPARING TO SEE THE PRESIDENT Mother wants to know if you'll lend her a little molasses to start a cap to go and see the president, said a little girl, coming into Mrs. Partington's kitchen, bearing in her hand a tin cup. Certainly, dear said the good dame pleasantly she never thought of the unreasonableness of the request she never dreamed of guile the treacle depository was brought out the golden liquid filled the tin receptacle and the child departed well said the old lady everybody's going to see the president but what is a president or a king or a justice of the peace but a man arter all with flesh and blood and bones and hair, like any of us. And thousands will come further to see him than they would to see St. Paul or Hebrews or Revelations or any of them. Sitch man-worship! sich man-worship! The president's coming, Aunt," said Ike, bursting in, and he's going by our door. And the little fellow was half crazy with delight, and threw his cap in a pan of milk upon the table in his enthusiasm. "'How do I look, Isaac?' said the dame, with animation. "'Is my hair combed, and my handkerchief digested right on my neck, and my cap-border even?' And she took her place by the window, when these questions were answered, as eager as any one to see the President, and Ike stepped out but her eyes were strangely dim and those hitherto faithful specks gave indications now of failing her she took them off to wipe them and both glasses were gone an hour before ike had borrowed them for a telescopic experiment but it didn't make any odds for the procession had turned down another street and didn't go by her door at all A CHURCH INCIDENT The bell had tolled for some minutes after the time of meeting, and some signs of impatience were manifest. A stranger, touching the occupant of a pew in front of him, asked, Is your preacher often as late as this? Oh, yes, sir, replied the interrogated. It often happens that he don't get here till the sermon is half through. The stranger looked at him intently a little while, and then made a memorandum of this fact in his notebook. A dry good lesson. Have you any stout dark marines? said Mrs. Partington to the shopkeeper. He was one of those good-humoured young men whose hair, nicely curled, betokens an elegant taste, and he stood swaying back and forth, leaning on his yardstick, and smiled amiably as the old lady spoke. Have you any dark marines? suitable for thick ladies outside undergarments we have dark moreens, ma'am replied he and cast his eyes towards a brother clerk and winked archly she gazed upon him a moment before she spoke again well well young man it was only a slip of the tongue and if you never make a greater slip in measuring cloth you will be much more honest than many clerks I know. The clerk colored and stammered out an apology, but it was needless. There was no unkindness in her looks. The spectacles bent their bows upon him steadily from the cavernous gloom of the big bonnet, but his perturbed fancy alone made them terrible. She made the purchase she intended, and in measure it proved full half a quarter over what she had bargained for a glance at poverty it must be very inconvenient to be poor said mrs partington as she glanced with honest pride at her high backed chairs and old-fashioned chest of drawers and continued her eye on to the open cupboard in the corner how people can contrive to get along with so little i don't see there is our poor neighbour down the yard now so pinched for room that she has to have a bed, in the very room where she sleeps. Kind old lady, her benevolence walked ahead of her grammar, but a trifling error in speech is as pardonable in Mrs. Partington as in Henry Clay. Slanderers If there is anybody under the canister of heaven that I have in utter excrescence, said Mrs. Partington, it is a tale-bearer, and slanderer going about like a vile boa-constructor circulating his calomel about honest folks i always know one by his fizz mahogany. it seems as if beelzebub had stamped him with his private signal and everything he looks at appears to turn yaller and having uttered this somewhat elaborate speech she was seized with a fit of coughing and took some demulcent drops a stormy season cease rude bolus blustering railer said mrs partington as she reached out into the storm to secure a refractory shutter and the wind rushed in and extinguished her light and slammed to the door and fanned the fire in the grate and rustled the calico flounce upon the quilt and peeped into the closet and under the bed and contemptuously shook mrs partington's night-jacket as it hung airing on the chair by the fire and flirted with her cap border, as she looked out upon the night it was a saucy gust how it blows said she as she shut down the window i hope heaven will keep the poor sailors safe that go down on the sea in vessels this must be the obnoxious storm continued she when the sun crosses the penobscot She donned her specs and sat down to consult her almanac next to her bible in importance and she found she was right while the wind howled around the house most dismally and yelled wildly down the old chimney. End of section fifteen recording by john Brandon.